This podcast is sponsored by Harvest. I use them for tracking work and invoicing clients. You can get a 30-day trial at getharvest.com. Use the offer code RR after your 30-day trial to get 50% off your first month. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This is your host, Charles Maxwood from teachmetocode.com. And this week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. We also have Jeff Schoolcraft. What's up? And we have a special guest, um, and this is the guy who does my taxes. It's Scott Sweeney. Glad to be here. Do you want to introduce yourself real quick, Scott, so people can kind of get an idea of, of who you are and what you do? Well, I'm a, a CPA, which is a certified public accountant. I specialize in tax. About 98% of my practice is tax. I'm in public practice, so that means that I take clients from all walks of life and uh, uh, prepare their taxes for them and review tax strategies, etc. Uh, I've been at this for a long time, uh, and we probably will do oh five to six hundred returns. We'll probably have completed five to six hundred returns by next uh, Tuesday. I mean, a week from Tuesday. So um, that's that's basically what I do. All right, terrific. Um, just to uh, add a little bit to that, um, some of the things that Scott's done for me is he um, he helped me work things out with an attorney to structure my business to help me save on taxes a little, and we can talk about that if you guys are interested. Um, and he's, like I said, he's done my taxes for the last two years, I think, and yeah. uh, just really, he's worth every penny. I'll just put it that way. Um, Scott, do well, you- thank you, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's really how right. I feel because I, I know I can't do it myself and it just, it, it saves Good. a lot of time, hassle and money. So Good. so do you want to talk real quickly about why you would want to hire a CPA rather than try and figure this stuff out on your own, especially if you're in business for yourself? Uh, I think the biggest thing we bring to the table is that the returns will be done accurately and you do not want to run afoul of the IRS. And the second thing is, is that um, generally, I can save in tax at least how much you pay me uh, over if you did it yourself, because I'm aware of all the intricacies of the of the tax code, et cetera, and the things that you can take and you can't take. Um, so, if you're out there doing your own thing, uh, it, it's better to outsource this, so to speak so that you're able to uh, make sure that they're done correctly and you've minimized your tax as much as possible. Uh, Okay. So, um, Eric and Jeff, I'm assuming you guys also have CPAs that that do this kind of work for you. What's your experience with them? Uh, I'm in the same boat as you. I mean, worth worth every penny. Um, I mean, I'm not... I'm not a money guy in the, to start with, and then I don't want to know all the tax laws, and I can't tell you how many they change. I mean, my accountant will tell me how much they change, and I shake my head in pity and write her another check, but I, this is something I don't want to keep up with, and if she keeps me from being audited, more power to her. Yep. Eric? Yeah, same thing. I mean, I've been working with my accountant for, I think, five years now, or going on five years. And like I said in a previous episode, I've actually never met her personally. I've talked to her on the phone and exchanged emails and that stuff. And now it's like she sends me an email with like a a little program and says, you know, 
fill in all your stuff in here and there's a button I can click in the program to send my data back to her. And then she sends me a couple of emails of options and basically then she sends me a packet that I sign and, you know, all the stuff printed out with like, I have to send a check every quarter. And so, you know, not only in the fact of like, she can save me like her fees, but she can also like save me the time. I mean, I think I pay a thousand, maybe uppers of 2000 on the complex years, a, a year for her. But I mean, if you value your time at like a hundred dollars an hour, that's 10 to 20 hours a year I could be putting into doing other work. So it's really worth it. And I mean, I come from a finance background and I've done taxes, my, like my own taxes and for my wife, all the years up to before we got an accountant. And I know like easily, like I'm probably saving 20 to 30 hours a year just by hiring her. So as a business decision, it's like a huge win. And that doesn't even count getting into the, if I get audited by the IRS or all that stuff. Right. So one other thing or one question that I have is um, in a lot of cases you want, and well, if you're self-employed, you pretty pretty much can count on wind up paying taxes as, as opposed to getting a return, right? That is correct. Um, unless. Hello, are you still there? I'm here. I'm here. Okay. We can keep going or you can try to have a cut here if you want. Um, yeah, I was just, <laughs> I, I like having the expertise. Um, but yeah, in, in my experience, what has wound up happening is that um, at least for the last year or so, I've wound up paying taxes as opposed to getting any kind of return. Yeah. And for me, this year was the first year I'm actually getting a return. Um, like actually not a return, a rebate a return is what you file. Um, mm-hmm. every other year I've had to pay it. Um, it's just this year I've done a lot of changes and we actually decided the past year to actually overpay on our, my estimates just in case, because I got hit with penalties one year just cause I wasn't paying enough and I made a lot more than I thought I was going to make. And so this year we ended up overpaying on our estimates and then, uh, you know, come, I guess like a couple of weeks ago, she said, yeah, you're actually going to get a little bit back. It's not like a significant amount, but you know, still it's for, for freelancer, you know, you got to think about it. You're putting money into savings and then that money's going to be paid off the taxes every three months instead of the IRS taking that money out of your account, you know, basically every paycheck, every two weeks, every month or so. Yeah, that makes sense. So basically you're, you're withholding quarterly and you, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. So, um, yeah, one other thing that I, I wanted to ask Scott, he kind of disappeared on us here, is, uh, you know, about, um, about you know, just, just handling an audit. You know, what happens when you get audited and, and what's the best way to handle that? So hopefully we can get him back in the call here. And Yeah, knock on wood, never been audited. So I have no idea. Yeah, same here. I mean, my accountant's nice and like, I can talk with her and she balances it and, you know, I says like, okay, you can try to claim some of these things. It's a higher risk. You might get audited. Um, and then depending on how overall my return is, I can kind of say, yeah, yeah, let's take some of these more deductions or let's just kind of let these slide. It's going to be hard, like, especially with donation stuff, donations, always a hard one to get claimed and, um, home office deductions are huge for freelancers, but they can throw up a lot of red flags if you don't do your math right. And so that's, I mean, that's basically why I had my, hired my accountant is because of the home office deduction. Right. So, yeah. And that's, that's one thing. How, how do you calculate that? Isn't it just the percentage of square feet in your house that you use for your home office? Um, I kind of, but I mean, once again, you need to talk to an accountant because this is the thing. I think if you claim a home office deduction, you get flagged for, let's check the math on this really heavy by the IRS computers. Uh-huh. But basically it's, 
I have a home office I use just for work. So we'll say it's 100 square feet and we'll just say I have a thousand square foot house because it's simple. That means the office is 10% of the house. So I think it's 10% of all of the house expenses like electricity, um, uh, you know, utilities, internet, all that stuff can be claimed as a home office expense. And like some of like the mortgage taxes and mortgage insurance and all that can also be written off because the business is paying 10% of that. Um, and then there's other things like if I actually come and install like a new electrical panel in here and it's just for the business, I think I can write that off. Or if I actually install, you know, a new electrical system for the entire house, I can write off 10%. So it's really, you know, it's really complex and it's like one of those calculations you just want your accountant to do because it factors in like depreciation and a whole bunch of other things. Right. That makes sense. All right. So um, we, we were talking a little bit about uh, like the different deductions that you can get on your taxes. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I'm trying to or that I'd like to know about is how do you and, and this is something that Eric brought up a few minutes ago is how do you determine what uh, sort of home office deduction you can get? Before before you answer, Scott, and just so that we have this said, because it hasn't been said, said yet. Yes, Scott is an accountant, but tax laws differ for every country, at least. And I don't know, within municipalities such as states, we're not lawyers. Scott's only an accountant for some people. Find your own accountant. Yeah. Thank you for the disclaimer. <laughs> uh, uh, the home office, the they call it the business use of the home. And the one thing that you have to do is make sure that you are not... Uh, located at any other facility, any other office, but I imagine most of you are, you know, working out of your, you know, your home. But if you have another office, then you're not eligible for it. Um, right. So the way they do that is you take the total square footage of your home, you take the square footage of the room that you're using for business use of the home, come up with a percentage. Now, uh, once you have that percentage, you're able to deduct 10% of your utilities or whatever the percentage is. Uh, that amount, that percentage of your homeowner's insurance, if you rent, you're able to take that percentage of your rent. If you have your own home, you can take a percentage of your mortgage interest and of your real estate taxes on your house, that same percentage. Oh, wow. You add, you add all of that up, and that becomes a deduction to you. Now, if, if you itemize, uh, which is mortgage interest, charitable contributions, and so forth, and those itemizations will exceed the standard deduction, then there's really not a whole lot of advantage to taking the mortgage, in, the percentage of the mortgage interest in the real estate tax, um, unless you've got a lot of self-employment tax to pay. And if you do, then you do want to take that on your business use of the home schedule and not take it on your uh, itemized deductions. So what they will allow you to do is take 10% on your business use of the home and then carry the other 90% over to your itemized deductions. By doing that, then you reduce the profit in your business return uh, so that the amount of self-employment tax you pay is significantly reduced. Right. So that's that's the big advantage of the, the business use of the home. And 
and if you if you don't if you don't office elsewhere, uh, it's an automatic. You need to be doing that. Okay. Are there Scott? Are there some? So I want to say that there are restrictions to that. Like it can't be. Can it be just your kitchen table and a laptop, and you're taking ten square feet, or does it have to be? a single purpose room with a door that you only do business stuff in. Well, uh, and that depends how aggressive uh, your accountant is. Um, if the IRS were to audit, they'd want to see a room that is separate and apart from the other living space, uh, especially if the house is fairly large. Uh, but I have uh, been successful in taking a portion of a room, uh, you know, if, especially if the, you know, if they're in an apartment or it's a small house or something like that. Um, and I and I don't have any trouble, you know, doing that. And so it would be better, you know, if you had a whole separate room and that's the only thing you ever did in there. But uh, realistically, you know, if you don't have that kind of option, then we can designate a portion of, you know, the kitchen, a portion of the front room or whatever uh, as your business use of home. And I actually did that when I first got started because we lived in an apartment and we had a spare bedroom and basically it turned into our office. But I used a, like a five foot by five foot bookshelf and put it like right in the middle of the room kind of as a divider. And so one side was my business stuff and the other side was my uh, my wife's personal stuff. And so we actually you know, measured the business side of it and took a deduction for just that side. But we were in a smaller apartment and you know, it was pretty clear like this is where I work because it had all my work stuff on the walls and filing cabinets and all that. And then the other side was just pure personal. And, and that's – so that's exactly right. So that's totally uh, open and available to you. So one thing that you brought up was that it depends on how aggressive your accountant is. And yeah. what what occurs to me there is if your accountant is more aggressive, does that mean you're more likely to get audited or not necessarily? Or how, how does that all pan out? Oh, I don't know. The chances of getting audited really depend on whether or not you fall out outside certain parameters that the IRS has established. Um, for instance, uh, in Utah, we have high charitable contributions made by, you know, a lot of people. And those returns in Utah fall outside the IRS parameters for the whole country. So you're talking about um, Mormons paying tithing or a tenth of their go. income to yeah. the LDS church. Right. So what happens then is they is the IRS in this area has said, okay, if somebody pop, pops up on the uh audit list because of high charitable contributions, then they don't look at the return anymore. But there are other things that can cause those audits. Right now, I'm involved in one. They were involved in a lawsuit, so they, they ran up about $200,000 of legal expense, and the IRS decided they wanted to look at that return because it created a generated a big loss for them. And uh, the, the the IRS came in. Uh, we were able to document all of the legal expenses, and, and therefore, uh, the audit accomplished what it wanted to do, which was to make sure that those legal expenses were actual and necessary, et cetera. And once they determined that, then we were done. Now, as to whether or not your accountant takes certain aggressive positions, uh, we are under obligation to make sure that we feel like that we can prevail more than 50% of the time. If we can't, uh, if we don't feel like we can do that, then we're not allowed to take a position. So it's, you know, there's a lot of safety built in by virtue of the IRS rules. Uh, but audits are prompted more by anomalies to tax returns than they are by aggressive positions. Okay. So if you have something that's 
you know, that's way out of the norm, then they'll, they'll come in and audit. Okay. One other question that I have related to, um, audit or audits are, um, I keep hearing different, uh, advice from people saying you need to keep all of your receipts or just some of your receipts, or, you know, you need to be keeping track of these kinds of expenses versus this other kind of thing. Um, just in the case that we do get audited, um, what kinds of records should we have so that we can demonstrate to the IRS that what we claimed is actually what we should have? Okay. And sort of a follow-up before you answer, does paper or digital matter? Is, uh, no. Paper or digital does not matter. Uh, if you're, so are you scanning your receipts? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. At least yeah, for those, me. Yeah, that would, that would... Uh, that would definitely pass muster with the IRS because virtually it's the same thing as paper. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Um, now, as to what you need to keep, you need to have your bank statements, digital or paper. Uh, they'll, that's the very first thing they ask for. And then any expenses that you incur, you need to have a receipt for it. And uh, that includes things that you might buy off of your credit cards or your debit cards or so forth. Even though they show up on a third-party uh, document, they're not necessarily going to allow that without the receipt. Uh, for instance, if you have a debit uh, to Walmart, uh, generally they will not accept that without a receipt showing that there was a business per uh, purchase versus right. a personal. And so I advise very strongly to keep and have receipts on every expenditure. I do that myself in my business, and I and I really strongly advise that you do that because uh, otherwise, then we have to argue, you know, with the IRS whether or not that that was truly a, a business expense. Now, uh, on mileage. And I'm not sure if you guys do most of your work over the internet if you ever incur mileage, but if you do, uh, I strongly suggest you have a mileage log that you keep, which will show the um, you know be beginning odometer reading and the ending odometer reading uh, for each uh, trip that you take. Uh, and Chuck, I've not been too big on this until I've had these last uh, three audits that I've done, and and we're getting burned on these audit on these mileage logs. So I'd strongly suggest you you keep something like that. If you keep it con contemporaneous, which means that it's the day you did it, then um, then there's absolutely no question that the IRS has to accept it. Okay. But it has to be Having, more than just, I drove so many miles? Yeah. Yeah. You should put down, you know, a beginning odometer reading when you leave and, and right when, when you get back. And okay. that's, that's miserable to do. Um, but especially if you're going to do a lot of miles, then that's the kind of documentation you're going to have to have to survive the audit. Okay. Now, I, I do want to say this. The IRS cannot audit back more than four years. So after four years, you can dispose of the receipts that you have because they can no longer audit you. Okay. And then isn't it, I, I want to say it's seven years for your actual tax return, just of like there's errors in your return or something. Is that right? Well, not really. Uh, if there's fraud involved, then it's seven years. But I don't suspect anyone of you will be involved in fraud. Uh, but even at that, if if uh, you had shredded your you know past tax returns uh, and and they brought a fraudulent audit to you, you can always get a copy of the uh, original tax return from the IRS. And uh, most of us accountants will keep uh, will keep you know your records electronically for far more than seven years. I've, you know I've got mine in for my clients we're going back you know 0102 so and and they and they will not come after you generally uh if it's older than six years anyway so does that help yeah so one other question i have and i think you may have just addressed this but um i was typing into twitter ask us questions for the cpa 
Um, but anyway, um, my question is, is so we have old tax returns and some of them were prepared uh, using like TurboTax or something, which isn't necessarily the, the, the best way to go. Um, can we bring those in and have them uh, checked over for possible money coming our way? Or, and what's the likelihood yes, that we're getting more, more back? Than, yeah, if they're not more than three years old, uh, because we cannot amend and get you a refund if, if they're older than three years. Okay. So like the 08 tax return was due February 15th of 2009. Three years from that point is, um, uh, you know, April 15th of 2012. Right. So if you if you want to want to have a review of the 08 and try and get a refund, we've got to get it done before the uh, April 15th deadline. Okay. And the, the tax deadline for this year is April 17th because the 15th is a Saturday? Well, the 15th is actually Sunday. Sunday. 16th is Emancipation Day in Washington. Oh. DC. And because it's a holiday in DC, the IRS is going to take that day off, and therefore the deadline becomes the Tuesday. Okay. Now, next year, April 15th will fall on a Monday, and Emancipation Day will be the 16th, so it'll, the, the deadline will be April 15th in 2013. Okay, sounds good. Now, what happens if you file late? Like, let's say for some reason, you know, we, we I don't get you my stuff in time, and so, uh, you know, I get it into you on the 14th, and you're saying, you know, there's no way I can get this done before the 17th. Uh, we automatically file an extension, both for your LLC, your partnership returns, and your um, personal return. Now, if you owe money, then we ought to send money to the IRS on April 17th. We just kind of do an estimate as to what you might owe so that when the return is finished, then we use that as kind of a withholding or estimated payment. Mm -hmm. And that uh, keeps you from having what's known as the failure, failure to pay penalty. Uh, the failure to file penalty is uh, avoided because of the extension. Right. But the failure to pay penalty, you cannot extend. So you, that's why we have you send money in with the extension. And then you have till September 15th on the uh, business returns and October 15th on the individual returns to file. And at that point, there is no tomorrow. All right. And the failure to file penalty is 5% per month up to 25%. Uh, the failure to pay penalty is a half a percent per month up to 25%. So it's critical that you get an extension filed because the penalty is like 100 times higher than the failure to pay. All right. And most good most good accountants will just file for an extension for everybody whether yep. you need it or not, right? That's correct. Yep. That's very correct. Yep. Okay. The only problem, like, when I first got my accountant, I got her, or I basically got signed up, I think like in February. So it was like very last minute. And she ended up doing the the extension for me. We only needed like an extra week. But um, I ended up getting, I think, one of the penalties of not paying enough because the last year I didn't know that I had to make estimated taxes. And so I actually got hit by that. Um, and so like if you're going out looking for an accountant now, it's almost too late. Like you might find one, but you're going to pay a lot. So if you're thinking of starting freelancing like this year, make finding an accountant one of the first things you do because there are dates and stuff you have to hit with estimated payments and all that. And if you miss it, it's – I think I paid like a couple hundred dollars or several hundred dollars. And you know, if I just actually sent money to the IRS, I wouldn't have had to pay that. Yeah. One other thing that I want to add to that is that when you're setting up your business, it's one of the first things you want to do not only so that you can avoid these kinds of issues – but your accountant has a lot of experience 
with how your business can be structured and how you can, you know, approach different aspects of your business in order to um, in order to save money on taxes up front. And so you can get all of this great advice while you're setting up your business and then you wind up doing things right as you move down the road. And that's one thing that I found with Scott. And he was recommended to me by David Brady, who's been on the show before. So, so, so yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's what we do. And that's part of, you know, our responsibility to the client. So, yeah. So I have two more questions. The first one I want to ask is just off of Twitter itself. Um, we had, I, I put this out last week and I got one question and it, um, I'm not sure if there's quite enough information here. We might have to guess at some of the, the aspects of the situation. But basically what he says is, um, what ratio of W-2 pay versus dividends should an incorporated freelancer take home? So, so oh, I'm, I'm assuming he's incorporated. He's hired himself as an employee to his corporation. And so he's paying himself a, a salary or a wage and then paying himself dividends on top of that if he makes more. Yeah, this is a critical component uh, if, if you are an LLC or an S-Corp is that you need to take uh, an officer's salary in an S-Corp or a guaranteed payment in an LLC. And there's much uh, controversy, oh, maybe that's the wrong word, but there's, there's a lot of discussion as to how much those amounts should be. If you are working all by yourself, then uh, you, you'll probably need to pay quite a bit. And when I say that, I think, you know, upwards to 50 to 60 percent uh, of, of your total profit should be taken as a guaranteed payment or an officer's salary. If you have other people working for you or you have equipment, uh, and I would think, I don't know uh, exactly how it works if you guys do a lot of remote work, you know, on, on your uh, client's computers or you bring it in or whatever. But I think if you've got, you know, quite a bit, if the computer does quite a bit of the work for you, uh, then you are able to take less as an officer's salary or guaranteed payment. The reason for that is is that you're making the money not solely from your efforts. And, you know, you have other people or equipment uh, that helps in the production of the profits. And at that point, then, um, you're, not, you're not required to take as much. Um, the answer to the question, the direct answer to the question is it depends. And again, you've got to, you, you should work with your CPA, uh, let them quiz you as to all that goes on in your own business and then determine, you know, a good number, uh, based on that information. So it's really difficult to give you a blanket answer to that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I will say this, that generally, if you're not taking more than 45% of the profit as an officer's salary or guaranteed payment, the IRS will come in and bump that up to that amount. So the lowest is 45% now under the new rules. And the new rules as of when? Well, probably in the in the last two or three years. When I say rules, it's it's um, it's what the IRS is doing when they go out and audit. Okay. And and Obama's hired, you know, uh, doubled the number of auditors in the United States, uh, and they're they're just being a lot more aggressive than they have been in the past. So um, yeah, it, it, you know, so basically what what I'm saying is is that. We used to get be able to get away with a third, and now it's gone up to about forty five percent. They're they're wanting a self employment tax. And I mean, to kind of give a bit of the back reason, this is an issue because when you get paid a salary, you got to pay um, employment taxes like Medicare and all that stuff, and you're at typically a higher rate versus if you take a dividend or a draw from the company, that's taxed at a lower rate. So if the IRS is trying to get more money, they're doing it by making you pay more taxes on the higher rate than they are on the lower rate. 
And so that's yeah. kind of the backstory reason why I think. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me clarify that just a little bit. Uh, let's say you make a hundred thousand dollars in the course of a year. That's your total profit. The IRS is going to tax you on that full hundred thousand. Uh, but they're not going to tax you for self-employment tax on the full hundred thousand. That's where the officer's salary and uh, uh, guaranteed payment comes in. You're actually paying two taxes. You're paying income tax and you're paying self-employment tax. Mm -hmm. If you do not have a business and are operating as a sole proprietor, there's no way around not paying both taxes on the full hundred thousand. If you incorporate or set up an LLC, that's where the savings comes in. Is because if you take, if you pay self-employment tax on only 50% of your profit, then you're saving uh, 50% of the self-employment tax that could be imposed. And that's the that's the importance of having a business and operating under a business is that it allows you to save on that self-employment tax. And the self-employment tax rate is 13.3%, and you're paying that in addition to the income tax. And the income tax rate depends on how much you make as to what tax bracket you're in. Right. So hopefully that clarified that just a little bit. Right. So the trade-off is is in your which portion you're paying your self-employment tax on. Right. Right. And you want to minimize that, obviously. Right. Uh, you're going to pay uh, income tax on the full amount of the profit, but you want to minimize the amount you take uh, as guaranteed payment or officer salary uh, so that you don't pay so much in self-employment tax. Right. That makes sense. OK. So um, one the other question I had was um, I was a little bit public about this. I still haven't disclosed who the client was that didn't pay me. But uh, how does that affect my taxes? I mean, do I just take that as a straight loss on the business? Or what? Well, unfortunately, uh, you cannot take lost revenue as a deduction. What happens is if you incurred X amount of expense to produce the work product for the client, you are allowed to take that expense against your other revenues. Okay. So let's say that uh, you've got $100,000 of revenues, and if this client had paid you, you would have had $110,000. Uh-huh. Uh, and let's say it costs you uh, 50000 to do the work for the 100000 and another 5000 to do the work for the extra ten. Uh you would have $100,000 then as revenue and $55,000 as expense. So you, you get to take the expense and basically uh, the revenue just goes away. Now, I would think that most of your work uh, is your time and effort and not yep. So much, you know, in other expenses. So unfortunately, you get hurt very badly with this rule because uh, you expend the time and effort, but they don't allow you to deduct that when you're not paid. And that that is a real uh, negative for, um, you know, folks in your profession. Yeah, that makes sense. So given the current situation, I'll probably ask you later if you know a good collection agency. Okay. <laughs> and what what you what you really need to do is um, set yourself up so that uh, you're getting at least half the money up front, or you know some sort of portion. You do progress billings as you go along, and that keeps you from having a situation where you've done all the work and they don't pay you a cent. Yeah, we we've talked a lot about that on this show. So, okay. but yeah, that that makes a lot of sense because then you get you get something at least for your time. Exactly. All right. Well, we're we're reaching the end of our time here, and I know we had a few technical difficulties, so this will probably be a short shorter show, but. 
Um, yeah, you know, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Scott, because I know that you're you're trying to get a whole bunch of people's tax returns in. There you go. <laughs> Very <laughs> by, true. By the seventeenth, so um, we really appreciate you coming on the show. We're going to jump into the picks, and uh, then we'll go ahead and wrap this call up. So, um, Eric, we'll we'll go ahead and start with you. What are your picks? Okay, so I don't have any tax related picks. Um, basically, my opinion is hire an accountant and just work with them. But um, last night, I was kind of going through a lot of quantified self videos. If you haven't heard about it, it's the kind of the idea of you do tracking of different things in your life or your work that are numeric, and then you kind of try to improve them some way. Um, so there's a video I watched by Robbie McDonald. Um, he basically had a 21-minute talk about how sometimes goals can actually be bad for making habits in that you kind of set it, set yourself up for failure, and he kind of proposes a different way of doing it. Um, it's pretty interesting. Um, I think it can be used for a lot of things from like personal like exercise, nutrition stuff, but also for business. I mean, you know, you could set yourself up for like different revenue, like, you know, you have this different revenue goal, different revenue habit, marketing stuff. Um, it's pretty cool. It's, it's interesting. It's a nice, uh, like I said, 20-minute watch. So Cool. Um, Jeff, what are your picks? Sorry, my mind went blank for a minute. Oh, that's all right. I surprisingly enough, I don't think I have any picks today. My newsletters go subscribe to them, but I don't. I don't have any picks. I've worn myself out looking at the internet. <laughs> all right. Well, um, so real quick then, let's let's tell people what your um, newsletters are. You've got freelance, freelance, freelancing weekly, Paleo weekly, and iOS biz something weekly. Uh, maybe just iOS biz weekly. We'll put them in the show notes. Yep, and then you've also got the freelance funnel, right? Yeah, that's not a newsletter though. That's right. a service. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I get the emails. Sometimes I chase leads off of it, so it's pretty cool. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and go next. Um, I'm not sure if I've picked this on the show already, but uh, basically, one thing that I use for my social media stuff is uh, Hootsuite. Um, it's actually a website. It's kind of like uh, what is it, TweetDeck, where you have the different columns with the different you know filters or whatever for your different accounts and things like that. And uh, it's it's pretty nice. I actually really like it and i'll put a link in the show notes it looks a lot like that um it doesn't completely fit my workflow but it does better than a lot of the other stuff i've tried so um that's one thing that i'm i'm messing around with and uh, my other pick is actually scott sweeney and i just i really want to let you guys know that he has saved me a ton of time trouble and effort with taxes and other financial things and so um i highly recommend him for that um, one other thing that I have that's related to this um, is that I have a, a VA, a virtual assistant, and um, part of the the service that I use for my virtual assistant, um, they actually have a bookkeeper on staff, and it just bills against my hours that I that I pay on my retainer, and so they have a bookkeeper, and she's been pretty good, so I'm very happy with them. So you can go check them out at contemporaryva.com, and uh, I'll put that in the show notes. Um, I actually have an affiliate link for that. So if you go click the link, then they'll know that I referred you and that would that would be nice for me. But either way, you know, if you're, if you're looking for that kind of service, go to contemporaryva.com. I've also heard people have uh, some luck with Odesk, but I'm not um, I'm not familiar with the kind of quality you get out of there. I think it's I think it's hit or miss depending on who you hire. So um, and that's one thing we didn't talk about, but, uh, you know, maybe we can talk about that another time. So, Scott, do you have any picks for us? Any resources oh. you want to share or anything? Well, uh, this virtual virtual assistant you just talked about uh-huh. that is news to me and that sounds absolutely fabulous 
Um, one of the biggest things that I encounter, you know, when I'm trying to do someone's taxes is that the bookkeeping has not been done very well. And so we end up spending a lot of time trying to straighten things out. And if you're going to hire someone like that to do that, that will be a tremendous benefit to you, um, you know, for when you get your taxes done. And it also would give, would be very beneficial to you in determining what your, um, determining what your profits are as you go along through the course of the year to see, you know, how things are going. And you can compare quarter to quarter, year to year, et cetera. It should be able to produce those kinds of things for you. So I, that that sounds very interesting to me. I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's kind of like a personal assistant except they're yeah. online, they're remote. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other than that, I was going to suggest, uh, you know, if you don't know Excel, um, you know, you need to you need to have some sort of software to, to keep all of your uh, records straight. And especially when we talked earlier about receipts, keeping receipts, uh, if you can tie those to the receipts, then that would help you too. So um, that's probably all I've got. All right, cool. Well, thanks again for coming on the show, Scott. Um, really well, quickly. Thank you, Chuck, for letting me come on. I appreciate it. Yeah, really quickly. Um, what's the best way for people to find you? Yeah, you have. I know you have a website and. Uh, yeah, but. Yeah, and all you techie guys need to know that I'm 61 and I'm uh, not into the, to that kind of stuff. So I have an email address. Let me give you that. It's Scott at CPA Sweeney, and Sweeney is S-W-E-E-N-E-Y dot com. And otherwise, then, my phone number is 801 756 3394. My website is um, not very good. That's why I'm not directing you to that. Yep. Okay. Well, all right. Um, sounds terrific. Well, if you want to get a hold of Scott, we'll have his phone number and email on the website so that you can go find him. And uh, if you have, if you want other recommendations, Scott's in Utah, but I believe he helps people what all over the U.S. I do actually. So there's uh, certain states I won't help people in, but probably 45 out of the 50 I I help people in. Right. So if you want a good accountant. I highly recommend Scott. Um, if you want other recommendations, you can probably ask Eric or Jeff to find out who they use. But, uh, you know, I, I just can't recommend Scott highly enough. He, he came to me uh, referred by somebody that I trust. And, you know, I, I have been super happy with the work that he's done. So thank you very much, Chuck. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. You can find us in iTunes um, if you want to get us there. Or if you're on the Android phone, I hear Dogcatcher is a good um, podcatcher, but I you know, there are a couple of other ones, Google Listen or whatever. Um, and there should be a link for the RSS feed on the website. So if if you're getting it there, great. If you're getting it from iTunes, then leave us a review. Um, we are discussing possibly doing a book club. So if you would like us to do a book club, club, I think there's actually an entry in the forum that you can go and vote up. And um, other than that, we will uh, we'll probably uh, catch you next week. See you. Later. Later. All right.